the most important invitation that's ever been extended, certainly the most life-changing invitation that has ever been extended to anyone, consists in two words from Jesus, follow me. It actually sounds as much like a command as it does an invitation, doesn't it? And we can choose to obey it or disobey it as a command. We can choose to accept it or reject it as an invitation. Two life-changing words. Follow me. And we'll each live eternally with the rewards or the consequences of our response. Now, I decided to follow Jesus as a 10-year-old boy. But we all know that a strong start in a race does not necessarily mean you're going to go the distance. And when it comes to discipleship, it's not a dash. It is a marathon. There is an initial positive response to the invitation of Jesus, but it's got to be backed up by a perpetual positive response. In other words, you say yes to Jesus at the beginning of your faith journey, and you say yes to Jesus throughout the rest of your life. A recent Barna survey revealed that of those who never attend a worship service, 52% say that they once made some kind of personal commitment to Christ, and yet they're nowhere to be found in the local church today. And how many times do you meet people out in the community who will tell you, well, we used to be a part of a church or we used to follow Christ, but we've just kind of gotten away from it. They had no idea what commitment to follow Jesus really meant. Now, Jesus warned in the parable of the four soils that, in fact, two of the four soils that received the seed of the Word of God failed to bear fruit. One, because the soil was too thin, it was too shallow, and the roots could not get down into the nourishing soil to be able to bear fruit. And then the other was the seed that initially sprung up but then was choked out by the thorns which Jesus likens to the cares of the world. So my objective in this message this morning is simply to persuade you to say yes to Jesus today and every day from now on. And I want to work from two passages, both in the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, the Gospel of John chapter 6. Each of these chapters reveals something very personal and very vital about what it really means to follow Jesus. We're not talking here this morning about church membership, church affiliation. We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about the invitation, the command from Jesus, follow me, and our response to it. We want to, first of all, follow Jesus initially. In Luke 9, 57 to 62, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, 
let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now Luke records for us in this passage an account of three men whom Jesus met on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time to meet his fate on the cross of Calvary, becoming the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And if there was ever a time that Jesus needed the encouragement of his followers, it had to be on this final journey to the holy city. Now, two of these men voluntarily declared their intent to follow Jesus. They didn't even wait to be asked. They didn't wait to be invited And then the other one, Jesus summoned to follow him. And I have to tell you, I'm struck, by the way, that Jesus handles these encounters with these three men. He seems to be trying to discourage them from following after him. But why? Most people with a cause are trying to recruit as many allies, as many advocates as they can. Well, friends, Jesus is just not impressed by numbers. He is not a salesman pressing hard to get his quota. He's not a politician making promises in order to get votes. He's not about popularity. He's about reality. He tells the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, because he is the personification of truth. And his motive is not to attract a crowd. His motive is that the nations would become his disciples, Matthew 28, 19. His desire is that everyone would believe and be baptized, Mark 16, 16. He's patient, Scripture says, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. But he wanted these young men to think it through first. He wanted them to count the cost so that once they decided to follow him, it would stick. They would never turn back, even as we sang just a few moments ago. And so Jesus spells out what is required in clear, sometimes in shocking terms. But he wants them to accept it. He does. He desires that they say yes to him. He wants them to say yes, but with the full knowledge that, first of all, the follower of Jesus has no earthly Security, verses 57 and 58. Now, Jesus had the advantage of being able to read these young men like a book. He knew things about them that we don't know. So when this man came running up to him and said, I'll follow you wherever you go, it does seem like he's coming on a little bit strong. But I have to tell you, I love his zeal. I love his initiative. I love his enthusiasm. But there was something he had not considered. I think maybe he was under the impression that he was identifying with some kind of elite cult of well-funded eccentrics. But Jesus impressed reality on him with this statement. Son of man has no place to lay his head. Now Jesus is saying that his is not a life of privilege. He's not some high-flying rabbi who jets from village to village, staying in five-star hotels and collecting huge speaking fees wherever he goes. He doesn't have a stock 
portfolio. He does not have a chef that travels with him. He doesn't even own a home. He has no dependence, no dependence on earthly security. Now listen, Jesus was not homeless. He and his disciples were offered accommodations by those who loved and believed in him. But the fact is he once borrowed a coin to tell a story, and he borrowed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem, and he was even buried in a borrowed tomb. But that's okay, because he only needed it for three days. Well, we learned last week that Peter and Andrew heard Jesus say, follow me, and at once they left their nets. And then Jesus called James and John to be his disciples, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And when Jesus invited Matthew to be one of his disciples, saying, follow me, he was in the middle of doing his job as a tax collector. He was sitting at a tax collector's booth, but Matthew got up and followed him. Boom. Just like that. And listen, those tangibles, the fishing net, the boat, the father, the lucrative job, they were all abandoned in light of a greater purpose. These men walked away from the symbols of their security and they never looked back. They chose Jesus. They said yes to Jesus. Now, those of us who follow Jesus today, They've got to be prepared to walk the same road. The road of no earthly dependence on security. No dependence on earthly security. Now you notice I didn't say no security. Because there's profound and ultimate security in following Jesus. It's not the earthly security of possessions or lands or deeds or titles or houses or money. As a follower of Jesus... Your security is in God's faithfulness. Your security is in a life beyond this one that no one can take away. Truly, being a disciple of Jesus means you've got more security than Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and the Walton family all rolled into one. Well, Jesus wants us to say yes to him. Also knowing that the follower of Jesus has no earthly ties. The follower of Jesus has no earthly security and the follower of Jesus has no earthly ties. Verse 59 and 60. And at first glance, this exchange seems to be out of character for Jesus. He invites the second young man to be his disciple with those two life-changing words, follow me. And the young man responds, Lord, I will, I'll follow you. But... First, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. Whoa. Seems a little uncharacteristic of Jesus. But you've you've got to understand some things here. We're We're not talking about a day or two delay to attend his father's memorial service here. Funeral customs being what they were then. We're talking about possibility of weeks, months. Maybe even years of delay, because in those days, the eldest son was traditionally responsible to stay with the father or mother, the aging father or mother, until they died, and then to see to their burial. So it's possible that we could be talking about a very long time. Or sometimes, 
in those days, there would be an immediate burial of the deceased person with a protracted period of mourning up to about a year. And then, after a year, they would dig up the bones that were sufficiently decomposed and dried and bring them back and bury them in closer proximity to the house. So Jesus was saying, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Others will take care of your social obligations. But the proclamation of the kingdom of God is a first priority. Sometimes people will say, particularly younger people, I'll follow Jesus, but not now. Later on, right now, I've got things to attend to. I've got my career. I've got my college education. I've got my fiance. I've got my boyfriend. I need to get a financial nest egg for my future friends. The call of Jesus comes first. It supersedes every other priority in life. No excuse should hinder you. There are people who will step up and do the other stuff, but who will proclaim the kingdom of God if you don't? You know what amazes me is how often a living parent, not a deceased parent or a dying parent, but a living parent will shamelessly hinder their son or daughter's discipleship. The parents who do not support their child's interest in the Lord or the Bible or the church because they have chosen to omit those things from their lives. The father who refuses to bless the marriage of his daughter to a missionary or a pastor. A mother who refuses to bless her son to live in another part of the country or in another country. A parent who objects to their child enrolling in Bible college because of their desire for them to wind up in some well-paying career. And it also amazes me how often an adult child will allow their dependence on a parent to limit their discipleship. They won't be baptized because mom and dad never were. They won't follow God's calling because it would mean the loss of an inheritance or the loss of a relationship. You've got to decide. You've got to decide who or what ultimately controls you. Jesus is saying, follow me. But he also said, whoever loves father or mother, son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. And that's in the context of discipleship. Jesus wants us to say yes to him. Also knowing that the follower of Jesus has no earthly distractions. Verses 61 and 62, the third man approached Jesus, promised to follow him, but again with the qualifier. He wanted to go back and say goodbye to his family. And here again, we're talking about a delay of several weeks. Because everybody had to travel, and travel was limited back in those days. Everyone wanted to get together for the celebration. They didn't get together very often, so when they did, they had to do it upright, take a couple of weeks. And after all, we've got a new celebrity in the family. We've got to really celebrate this. But Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And again, Jesus read this young man's heart, and he perceived that he was clinging to his past. So Jesus is saying to him, don't look back. Don't look back. 
Some have looked back when God called them forward. Lot's wife looked back wistfully at the city of Sodom. Judas Iscariot looked back, betraying Jesus for the lure of money. Demas deserted his missionary calling for the attraction of the world. It's not an unusual thing for people to look back at the old life. John Stott writes, People still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss faith as escapism. The true follower of Jesus allows no earthly distractions. We don't look back with longing at anything or anyone. We surrender the life we lived before the Lordship of Jesus Christ to follow him first and foremost. Well, so far, everything I've said had to do with saying yes to Jesus initially. That's what was happening with these young men as Jesus met them. He's giving them the opportunity to make a first-time decision to follow him. But what about saying yes to Jesus no matter what the future holds? We're talking here about following Jesus continually. In John chapter 6, verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Well, by this time in his ministry, Jesus had more than his share of fans, but few followers. And fans go back home when the food runs out. Fans go back home when the show is over. But followers remain, and that hasn't changed. I like the way one author has put it. He said, some followed him because of the miracles he performed. Take a look, John 6, 2. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And some followed him because of the monarch they perceived, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself, John 6, 15. Some followed him because of the meal he provided, John 6, 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're not looking, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now, Jesus never set out to draw a crowd, but he often did. And when he did, he would begin to teach some of the harder truths about discipleship. Well, on this occasion, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 and he had just walked on the water and the word had spread like wildfire and the crowd was huge. They wanted to be with him. Until, that is, 
he began to reveal to them two significant truths. The first one is in John 6.40. Jesus said, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about Him. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? After Jesus plainly revealed his identity as the son of God, they got restless. They got uncomfortable because it meant that he had ultimate authority over them. And they weren't ready for that. That meant that what he said was absolutely true. And they were accountable to obey it. And this is still a sticking point today. Even some professed Christian leaders will speak of God, but not of Jesus. They may recognize him as a good man, a good teacher, a good prophet, but not God in flesh. And this is where the road divides, my friends. This is where the road forks. It is at the intersection of Jesus. It is at the intersection of the cross of Christ. So today, you can pray publicly for civic events, but you cannot do it in Jesus' name many places. And you can speak at a baccalaureate service, just do not mention the name of Jesus. His lordship, his deity is denied by the Mormons, by the Jehovah's Witnesses, by all of the Eastern religions and the Mid-Eastern religions, including the Jews for whom he came. He came for his own and his own received him not. Well, Jesus not only revealed plainly who he was and that became a point of grumbling and dissatisfaction, he also revealed that he was the only way to the Father, that their good works and their efforts were useless to them, and that he was the only way to heaven at the end of life. And at that, they began to go over the hill. Take a look. John 6, 63, Jesus said, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. And from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus asked the 12, do you you also want to go away? And it had to be Peter's finest hour. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then he said, we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. All right, Peter, he didn't just say, we believe it. He said, we know it. I wonder if you've had that kind of transition in your personal faith. When we first come to Christ, we say in the good confession, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But have you got beyond that to the place that you know it? Have you arrived at knowing Do you resonate with Peter's rhetorical question here? To whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. So, to whom shall we go as 21st century disciples? To whom shall we go with our sins? 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man. Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. If you do not believe, you will die in your sins. So to whom do we go for inward peace? John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So to whom shall we go for the security of eternal life? John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life. So what else can I say today? Being a disciple is to follow Jesus initially and continually. It's to say yes to him one day, and then every day after that for the rest of your natural life. It's to say yes to him first and finally. Folks, it is is so simple. (laughs) It's not easy, but it is simple. You just say yes. Well, we want to make a memory here this morning. We want to do something definitive to say, I am committed to saying yes to Jesus today and every day for the rest of my life. In our pews this morning, there are green stickers. They are at the ends of every one of these pews. I'd like to ask you if you've got those yes stickers close by you to take one and then pass them down the row. And you might just notice around you everyone who wants one needs to get one. Just a simple green sticker. It has one word on it. It is the word yes. Each one simply says yes. And here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. I want to ask you to peel off the back and stick that yes sticker on the inside cover of your iPad or on the outside of the front cover of your Bible or the outside of the back cover of your Bible or inside the cover of your Bible and let this yes serve for you as a visual reminder And a perpetual reminder of your decision to follow Jesus as your Savior and obey Him as your Lord, to say yes to Him today and every day as long as you live. Because for the life of me, I cannot imagine why anyone would say no to Jesus. All comes down to this, doesn't it? It's either... It's either shunning his invitation or embracing his invitation. It's either saying yes to him or no to him. And we all answer. But we not only answer initially, we answer continually throughout our lives. We're talking about rediscovering our identity as Christ followers here. It's simple. 
to say yes to him today and yes every day of your life. It's not about religion. It's not about church membership. It's not about church affiliation. It's about a living, personal relationship with the incomparable Christ, creator God in flesh. And this morning, if you want to make a decision for him, we're going to ask you to once again, as we stand and worship and then exit the worship center after a bit, we want to invite you to just remain seated. Our section hosts, our pastors will find you and come to you. If you, if you have a prayer need, if you want to counsel about a decision, if you're ready to make Christ your Savior, make Crossroads your church home, we will come to you. First, we'll stand and worship. And then as folks are leaving, you just be seated if you have a decision to make this morning. Will you stand with me?